This episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast is presented by The Performance Academy. For all of your athletic training needs, train with purpose at The Performance Academy. TPA houses a number of training resources from private baseball and softball instruction to team sports performance classes. Utilize advanced technologies like output sports, hit tracks, and TrackMan to take your game to the next level. On top of our elite staff and advanced technological capabilities, be a part of the TPA family and take advantage of the many resources our facility has to offer. Want to go to a game? How about a concert? How about going to see classical music? Whatever you're into, there's only one place to get your tickets. Thankfully, we are partnered with SeatGeek, the essential resource for live events. For any of your ticket needs, make sure you go over to SeatGeek.com and use the code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. For all of your clothing needs, athleisure, the sickest baseball gear you can get. We're talking hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Routine Baseball has it, and we are now partnered with them. All you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. It's routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have you will receive 10 percent off your order today one more time routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10 percent off your order today powered by riverside Welcome back to episode 126 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, this time plural, Dan Galati and Colin Pelusin. We have a really special guest. This has been one that we've been trying to make happen for a while with Colin, and we have the 2023 ACC Pitcher of the Year and current minor league pitcher with the Cincinnati Reds. We have Rhett Louder. Rhett, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. I'm excited. Of course, of course. So we're going to hit you with the hard-hitting questions here, and, and we're coming out the gates. I want something to be clarified. So Trey Morgan went viral in a video talking about Thatcher Hurd stealing your lunch. That was for Rhett L. What's your side of the story? We've heard so much from their side. I, I got to hear what's your side of the story of what happened there. Yeah, so I ordered – Jersey Mike's DoorDash, and like I do pretty much every game. Um, and it said it was delivered to the hotel. And I go outside, check my door, it's not there. And I'm like, okay, let me text the driver, see if they just left it in the lobby. And they're like, Did you? I asked if they left it in the lobby. And they're like, were you not the person I handed it to? And I'm like, no, I wasn't. I haven't got it. And they were like, oh, well, I handed it to a 6'2 blonde male that said they were you. So my first instinct was I text the team group chat. Cause I thought somebody was messing with me on the team. I was like, who took my food and no one said anything. No one didn't respond. And I was like, well, that's weird. So I just got a, I just got a, um, a refund and it was only us and LSU in the hotel for like the team. So I, like, I kind of had a bad feeling in the back of my head. Was like, I bet like a six, two blonde male that would take my food probably played on LSU or was an LSU fan. Um, so I figured that, but I didn't know. So I just got, I just reordered something else, and then it was at. It wasn't until after Omaha. I didn't know it fully until that video came out. I was actually in New York doing the pre-draft medicals and everything, um, and I was in the MRI machine. And I get out, my phone's blown up, and I'm like, "What is going on?" <laughs> and it was just that video came out and was going viral, and that's when I found out for sure that it was them. So. I didn't really know, but then the the crazy part is uh, Ty Floyd from LSU got drafted with me, and then uh, he bought me he bought me some dinner to make up for it on LSU. He said, "That's awesome. I love that he yeah. that he uh, he, he made up for it. it." Did you did you feel at all like this is so like 
my life is kind of getting a little bit different that a video of someone stealing my lunch went viral? Like, did that kind of hit you as like your first, like, welcome to, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching a new level of, of who yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah. That, that was one of the, the moments for sure. It was, it was pretty funny. And I was kind of, I was kind of confused why so many people cared about me just getting my, my lunch taken, but it is a funny story. And I actually wasn't that mad about it. My, more Wake Forest people were mad about it and, and than I was. I was like, that's, I mean, if it, the tables were turned and Paul Skeen's food was there and one of our guys were down there, I would put my life on it that they would have done the same thing and, and taken. <laughs> so then let me ask you that too, because did you in the moment maybe, or even afterwards reflect on that game that you just mentioned when it was you and Skeens in the, in the world series. Cause from a viewership standpoint, it was like this pitching matchup is unbelievable. It was like must see TV for anyone who liked baseball and watching you guys go at it was unbelievable. And, and obviously the talent was just so apparent from both of you guys. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment where it sunk in with like, this was like a pretty cool moment and maybe like a historic college world series matchup. Yeah, I think, I mean, that was just crazy. Right from right when we lost the game the night before, I mean, I kind of knew what was going to happen and, and that was going to be the matchup. So I kind of honestly got a little bit of nerves and excitement come over me right at that point. Cause I knew it was going to be a big deal. I get back in the locker room and my phone's blown up there too, like trending on Twitter and everything. So I knew the, I knew the how big it was going to be to to the world. Um, so I, I mean, after the fact, I mean, it, it obviously turned out to be it lived up to all the hype. Super fun game, most fun game I've ever pitched in that I lost. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I want to go back and watch the full game. I mean, I've watched clips here and there, but I really haven't got to sink in and just watch it pitch for pitch. And that's, that's probably something I'm gonna give it a little bit more time, but I'm excited to do eventually just because it was such a and yeah I didn't get to watch it when I was in the dugout because I was so just like focused on other things I didn't really get to see I just knew the innings were quick um so Mm no but it's going to be cool to go back and watch and that's something uh that I'll go back and be able to show people for like the rest of my life and it'll always be awesome I was our we were fortunate we were Oklahoma City we got a rain out or rain delay so we were I was so happy that I was able to like watch pretty much that entire game. But I remember yeah. sitting in the locker room with all the dudes and we're just watching it go inning by inning and everybody's like, like, what are these kids taking nowadays? Like, what are these kids doing nowadays? <laughs> like, at that level? Because, like, just me, like, five, six years ago, there wasn't dudes throwing upper 90s to 100 miles an hour constantly. There wasn't dudes like you with a plus-plus change-up for a strike in any count that they wanted. There wasn't there, – there may have been one or two guys of staff, and here it is. It seemed like every pitcher on Wake was like that. It seemed like every pitcher and a lot of those teams were all like that. So that leads me to talking about the lab because I was only there for a short time with it, and I think we were still new to it. And I think mm-hmm. we were kind of not sure like what type of data to look at because I think we were like the first school to really get one. And I just want to yeah. know how different or how much that has helped your development. I know like we look back at your freshman year – you know, 6-1, like not terrible as a freshman. Like you get through a lot of innings, blow up your sophomore year, first round or junior. Like what – take me – I want to listen like the stages of like your development through those years and if the lab helped or if it didn't help or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, so for, I feel like my development is a little bit different than if you look at like the grand scheme of what Wake Forest pitching is doing right now. Because um, I like came in like a super undersized kid um, that threw a lot of strikes and kind of like – through I had bad stuff, but threw it in the zone and got outs. So my biggest thing was kind of just like getting in the weight room, adding strength, and then figuring out how to play at this level. Um, so the first year, me getting beat up and everything was pretty good, just so I kind of figured out how to survive in the, in that conference and everything. And then once I did add some uh, strength and velocity, and my stuff ticked up, I was kind of like. I was kind of ready for the opponents I was facing. Um, so the lab kind of was like more like a maintenance piece for me. Like I would kill it in the off season in the lab, trying to get my stuff fine tuned um, to like as best as possible. But then in season, I was kind of just focused on whatever I have, whatever my stuff is just going out there and competing. So it was mostly physical for me. And then, you know, just, just, I, I ended up with like 300 college innings, which not a, 
ton of people have anymore. So like that, I contribute a lot of that to uh, my success. So, but then if you look at like our team in general, we have a lot of like unique pieces. And I think that's where the lab kind of came in. Um, Once we started getting away from like the cookie cutter approach to like, this is what a pitcher looks like. This is how they're supposed to move. This is what they're supposed to throw. And then just lean into like unique um, personalities and unique movement patterns, unique pitches. Then you see guys like we had Sean Sullivan who threw the craziest fastball and just threw 80% fastballs, got whiffs like at a 50% rate. And then you had a guy like Cole Rowland who come in right after and threw 10% fastballs. It's like, we didn't care how we did it. We just wanted to get outs. And I think that's where we leaned into the lab is like, where is this guy unique? Where is he an outlier at? Cause you have, they have unlimited data there to compare to all these different people and everything. And, we just want to find who's unique and why and then abuse it. That's awesome. And, and I mean, we talk about it, individualized development all the time is the most important thing and getting away from a cookie cutter, you know, type of approach, especially when you have access to all that data is super important. Who, I mean, there's so many people involved in the lab and, and obviously it's overseen by so many people as well. Who's kind of most responsible for that transition into more of an individualized approach for each of these guys and understanding that, you know, these guys might move differently. They might have different profiles and stuff wise. They might need to use it in certain ways. Who's kind of responsible for that? Yeah. So the lab, I mean, there's a huge team um, that goes into work and there's Kristen Nicholson who's like the scientist genius behind everything in the lab. And, and then, kind of translates to they have Mike McFerrin who's our now lab coordinator and then they kind of almost put it in simple terms or they talk about it with our pitching coach coach Moose and then it's the level of dialogue goes down the chain of like the chain of command almost or up the chain of command where it gets like super smart and then by the time it reaches the player on what they need to do it's like go do this drill or this is the usage you're going to do it's very basic once it gets um, to the player level, but it's uh, definitely way more complicated when they're first breaking it down. So there's a big team. I mean, um, they have a biomechanist and then the lab coordinator, and then um, our pitching coach is super involved, and they're now trying to just get as much as that data, as much of that data as he can, and then translate it to the field. How much of, I guess, just from a your personality and your standpoint, because I feel like, you know, there are different levels for each pitcher, too. Some guys really want all the data. Some guys want, mm-hmm. like, no, nah, just give me the basics. I just want to go out there and try and get out, so I'm not too worried about it. Where do you kind of fall in that? Are you looking for all the data? You want the numbers to understand, or are you someone who just likes to simplify? So I'm in love with all the data and all the analytics and everything. I love that stuff, but there's a time and a place. I kind of found a really good blend of that my sophomore year. So when I came in my freshman year, I knew nothing at all. So kind of like all the freshmen, they're just like trying to learn everything at one time. But I kind of just really bought in, like bought in figuring out what all that stuff meant. So I spent that whole year just learning pretty much. And then by the time I came around sophomore year, like I kind of said earlier, I realized like this is so overwhelming for some guys. And I can see how people could get almost domed up by having this amount of information in the season. Um, and I, I kind of firmly believe that, and like, especially, I mean, college, you have seven days in between starts, but like if you, as you move up, it gets shorter and shorter. So I, I'm, I firmly believe that you don't have enough time to drastically change any of those numbers too much between starts. So you kind of are just in compete mode at that point. And I kind of really focused on the analytics and diving into all that in the off season in the fall was, was really when I was trying to get my stuff. Um, as good as possible and then try to find a way to get it consistent and that's where all the analytics came into it but then by the time I'm getting to season and based on week to week I'll kind of just peek at a few averages and then just go on with my day like there's not much I can do about it right it's it's almost like the the kind of the thought process of whatever happened in that last start kind of happened got to make the adjustments and go forward from there um what can I ask what a couple of the numbers that you really like to look at so that you kind of can evaluate yeah i mean it it, it kind of probably changes per pitch but i mean specifically so if we're talking about i'd say overall spin direction and tilt is probably one that you could look at for all pitches that matters a lot i mean depends on so if you're looking at a four seam it depends on the guy too like what's your issues like some some guys 
issue might be like with the forcing, like keeping their efficiency, or might, they might cut some, cut the ball and lose a bit of efficiency. Um, but for me, I never really had an efficiency problem. I just want to maintain that tilt in the right, that right window. And then you look at like my change up tilt is pretty big on that too but then like you want to kill some efficiency on that so it it kills a little bit of the vert vert's pretty well known induced vertical break is well known amongst everyone but i mean that's just that doesn't tell the whole picture and it kind of you kind of have to look at the spin direction the efficiency um spin is, is not as important to me as it is to some guys but it really depends on what you're chasing and depends on the pitch but you know, there's a few there's a few big metrics that a lot of people like to look at on social media and everything, but they don't tell the full story. So going up the, the analytics stuff, I was just wondering before I ask one another question, your do you know all of your averages and all your pitches? Because I mean, I love all the numbers too, and I like to look at that stuff too, and I think it helps me a lot. And I guess that carries me to the next question: is how much do you really use like those numbers? Uh, to translate into your scouting reports and stuff because mm-hmm. there's the whole the whole back and forth of do you pitch to your strengths more than do you pitch to the hitter's weaknesses? I'm a believer and I'm going to pitch to my strengths. So I was just wondering how those numbers throughout your years at Wake really helped you towards the end become as dominant as you are and become a seventh overall pick after having one power five school offer you. I mean, that's kind of a nuts story to think about. Yeah, so it's – I do know most of my averages, they get skewed because I threw uh, two different fastballs. I threw a sinker and a four seam, and then sometimes, you know, they can – depends on who's tagging and what happens, they can get tagged wrong. But um, usually, like, I'm a lower release height guy, you know, like a low three-quarter, so I kind of figured out, like, my four seam will play a little bit better even if the numbers aren't the craziest ride you've ever seen. Like, it's not 20 vert, but from a lower – mid – five foot release height i throw like a 17 to 18 vert fastball at the if i throw that at the top of the zone 16 to 18 like that'll play from a low mid uh release height so that'll play but most of the time i threw that only only glove side i never really threw uh arm side four seams because that's when you'll see it flatten out a little bit and then i'll throw a sinker over um arm side that's probably around i like in in the single digits like eight seven to eight um, with like, I mean, I never had a problem running the ball, so it'll get up to like 20 horizontal, but I don't really care about the horizontal as much. Um, so that's kind of like the two fastball breakdowns when it's at its best. Like, you know, sometimes you'll have games where it creeps into where you don't want it, but that's kind of where I lean a little bit more on the, uh, the softer stuff, but change up. I mean, that's probably my best metric pitch. Like if you look at it on track, man, you're like, that's pretty good. I averages around zero vert, 20 horizontal, 18 horizontal at probably like 87 on average. Um, and my slider, I've got, it's, it's the one that's adjusted the most throughout my career is I thought I was going to try and sweep it for the longest time. And then I could never do it. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to fight it. And I just started throwing it as hard as I could. And I don't care about the shape of it really at all. <laughs> it's, it's just, um, plus velocity spin really. If you win in the zone part of the zone, you want to throw it to pretty much wins. Um, so I kind of just try and get that north of 85 with whatever shape moving to the glove side I got that day. That's awesome. Rip it and rip That's it. Pretty- love it. Yeah. yeah. Like I Grab love it, that. Throw just- it. Throw it as hard as you can. It's going to move no matter what. The hitter is going to have yep. no idea yeah. to. And, and then that. when I started doing that, it got a little bit smaller and kind of easier to control. So it's kind of crazy. I started, it went from 83 to 87, and I was just like, started throwing it for more strikes and where I wanted to. And I was like throwing a bad counts and that's, you know, that's all you really need. It's like, I mean, pitching's just pure, pure confidence. And then just like land, like finding parts of the zone that you are confident in. So it doesn't matter a ton, like going off like your question about like a, your strengths or, or the hitter's weaknesses. I mean, ideally in an ideal world, you want to pitch to the hitter's weakness, but who can do that? Um, every time they go out there, you know, sometimes a hitter's weakness might not be something that you can um, execute at a high rate. I mean, when I'm feeling my best, obviously I study the hitter's weaknesses and want to know where in the back of my mind, where, where they struggle. But if that day I'm, I'm fighting that spot, I'm not going to go there in crunch time more than likely, you know, you gotta, I would say probably through the first time through the order, like I plan to attack the hitter's weakness, but if I'm, something's not right that day, you obviously 
a good pitcher can alter like their their game plan um, after the first time through or second time through, pretty much whenever they see themselves running into trouble. So I would say I start out the game attacking weaknesses, and if I got everything going on, then yeah, I, I continue that plan. But you know, you got to always be ready to audible. I love that, and I got a couple quick ones for you. First, what's your what's your mental cue on the changeup? Because that changeup, obviously, everybody kind of you know was talking about it, and it's obviously your your ridiculous out pitch. So, what's your mental cue? Because a lot of people, that, it's such a feel pitch, in my opinion, and a lot of people mm-hmm. struggle with it. And you know, Collins fought it for as long as I've known him now. So, I'm just curious what your mental cue is on it. Do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got lucky with the changeup. Mm-hmm. I've thrown it the same way since I've started throwing them since middle school uh, it's just so natural for me um that i know it's not fair because i'll try and teach people <laughs> and it just doesn't work um but it's really yeah the same thing uh it's really just i don't try and do anything on it at all just let my trust the fingers are going to work throw it as hard as i can and then just i mean yeah trust trust it's going to go where i want it to i mean the days it's bad is when i'm if something feels a little funny in my hand and it doesn't and i'm not fully confident and you can say that about every pitch but I try not to think about it too much and, you know, just throw it. And I got lucky that the the action came pretty natural. And then uh, you, you started talking about on the fastball too with your release height. Are you thinking about kind of leveraging the arm angle? And that might not be a, a question for a pitcher. That might be more so whoever's working with you on the mound. But are you think was that like a, a thought with the four seamers? Like because I'm, I'm a lower release height, getting it to that upper quadrant with the vertical break that I have can still play up there because – the perception to the hitter, right? Like that's to me, when we're pitching, one of the things we're trying to do is, is you're trying to throw off timing. So if the perception to the hitter is this thing's coming from a lower angle and then like even though it's not 20 inches avert, it looks like it's probably taken off to him because it's coming from that lower slot, right? Yeah, no, that's one of those things that where when I started studying analytics, I kind of figured out this is how my fastball can play. Because um, when, I mean, back when I first got to, to college and when all these numbers started to come out it was pretty basic at that point they were like oh if you don't ride it if you don't if your vert's not 20 inches you can't ride the ball and then it didn't so I was like okay my after my freshman year I was like I'm only gonna throw sinkers um but then I started realizing like with a little more research I was like I'm still getting whiffs when I throw a fastball at the top of the zone there's got to be a reason why and then I kind of learned the reasons um so it's nothing I tried to do it's just something I realized that I could do um, and then it, it, it's just like, there's always going to be somewhere that something plays. You just got to figure out kind of like why. And then like, obviously a good hitter is going to like adjust to that. Like, I can't purely just go forcing to the top of the zone, no matter what your ride is. It's like pitching, still pitching. It's just, you got to know when and where you can go to these certain locations and where your stuff plays. And it's about being able to maximize what you got in the toolbox, right? Like yep. you, you yep. have your tools and how can I make them work best for me? So then that kind of leads me into, you talked about obviously glove side and arm side with the four seam and sinker. Is there any other way you decide when you're going to throw, which is it situational or is it just, okay, we're trying to go glove side here. So I'm gonna go four seam and I'm going to go arm side. So I'm gonna sink it. Um, yeah, well, it really, I mean, it depends on the, the hitter a little bit as well. There's In the college level, I wouldn't say there's as much difference. Like, you can't just be like, this guy hits sink better than he hits ride. It's not, I wouldn't say there's enough sample size to really tell, but I think you probably could in the at the big league level. There's a larger sample size. But um, pretty much you kind of just split it on zone quadrants. You, like, at the, like, at the ACC and the college level, you can kind of see this guy's better, or better off on this quadrant than he is. I'd say it's more zone-based than it is movement-based. Um, so I kind of just went to where I'm throwing this pitch in this zone. He's worse in the zone. That's end up being the pitch I'm going to throw. But I think it's something I'm going to be able to look at going into into pro ball. I mean, obviously, I don't know that for a fact. I haven't thrown yet, but uh, I think there's a little bit more sample size there. So let me ask you, because you're uh, I'm fascinated because you're a guy who can four-seam it and can sink it, and you're talking about individualized by hitter, is that something that is bat plain? Do you think that there's some merit to that? Is that not information you guys were privy of, of like, hey, this guy's on plane for a long time, so he hits riding four-seams well. This guy is kind of loopy. You know, you see those guys with those long uppercut mm-hmm. swings that are going to handle sink a little better. Is that something that you're kind of saying is – what you're hoping to gain as you get further through the professional ranks is that kind of information. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Uh, that's something like, even you can kind of do that at the college level a little bit, but it kind of just translates to, um, zone dependent as well, just because there's not as many guys, like you're not going to see as many distinct changes in pitcher qualities at the college level. You're going to see a lot more of those guys throwing the more dead fastballs than you would in, at the, uh, at the pro level. So it's not, that's, that's kind of what I mean by, um, but like a guy with the long loopy swing, like he's obviously going to be susceptible to get over. You can, he'll, he'll swing under the ball a little bit. Like you can get above his barrel. No, no matter, like there's probably some guys that have found sinkers above his barrel at the top of the zone. Um, so it, yeah, but yeah, technically that's what I'm hoping to look for at the next level. Just talking to you, you seem like more knowledgeable than any college junior that I think I've known ever and it's just incredible you have you have all this knowledge going into pro ball like immediately and you've already pitched on the biggest stage in college baseball I don't care about the the final the whatever that wasn't that yeah. didn't compare to game that game you versus Skeens but I saw something the other day and it said I started messing up my mechanics when I started working on them and watching you throughout the years it seems like your whole delivery and stuff and your pitch shapes have kind of been really consistent. And I've always wondered because I get into this habit of like trying to work on stuff too much, trying to overthink stuff, right? You have all the technology and stuff for the pitch shape. I was wondering if there was any mechanical thingies that, you know, you tried to work on throughout your time at wake, if there was anything that you needed to work on or if, like you said, they they just said, Hey, go ahead and throw. Like you already have it, figure it out yourself. Like, go work through your failures. I was wondering if there's anything like that you went through. Yeah, no, they're definitely, I mean, there's definitely small mechanical things that I've done, but I've always been a, a pretty uh, heavy believer in like every time I step on the mound, I'm never really trying to do anything mechanical. Um, I always just did, it was in like my drill work and everything. And I was just hoping that with enough reps through drills and plyos and this and that, that it would blend subconsciously. And I think it did. Like my deliveries look the same, but the feels are a little bit different. Like I feel stronger in certain areas, but I never have tried to do anything drastic to to gain a certain result. You know, I always tell kids like, cause especially like you see with kids that struggle with the zone, um, and they're trying to do all these delivery changes to get back in the zone. I'm like, I'm like, dude, just throw whatever feels normal, and then you're gonna do these drills mm-hmm. to blend where you don't have to think about it. Because I mean, if you're up there thinking about something, you already lost the battle. Pretty much, I agree. Yeah, and I just as soon as you're thinking mechanics, it's over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you ever yeah. like? Where did that come from? Because did you ever get like? I you know, did you, I just think nowadays there's so much specialized training. You know, it's starting younger and younger and younger every year we move on. Did someone instill that in you, or was there a time where you were, I don't know, twelve and you were at a, a a place and you had a pitching coach and someone was like, "Do this," and you were just finally like, "No, man, this isn't working for me." Because that because I, I to me it's like sometimes what I get worried about, especially with pitchers, is we we suck their athleticism away, and it's like well you want yeah. them to be athletic out there, right? You would never you would never tell a quarterback to not be athletic when he throws the football. Why would we you know try and change how a pitcher's moving and take away his athleticism, right? One hundred percent. No, um, I think it probably came from my freshman year when I was struggling a little bit. I was really working on some stuff like I mean as every freshman is you come in you got the world thrown at you um and I was just trying to like you just think about it was mid-season and I'm just getting beat up beat up beat up and then I'll have one crazy outing out of nowhere and I'm like what did I do different and I was just like well how was I thinking during that game and I was like I wasn't thinking so I was like oh okay I can try to do this um but then I went into the off season and I was like this is a perfect time just to do everything that I need to do and then get myself in a position where I don't have to think during the season. Um, so it kind of was just trial and error. Like, I got beat up pretty bad my freshman year, and then uh, I realized, like, I had to simplify the game a little bit. And I think that's probably where it came from. And, and then is there is there one or two mechanical things? Like, you know, because I guess my biggest thing that I always, tr- like, look at when I first watch a guy, right, and I've talked about this with Colin a couple times, is leveraging the ground, right? Like, just a- as a pitcher, being able to leverage ground. So is there one or two things like that that when you do go watch video back after an outing that you're looking for lower half or even, I don't know, arm slot or anything like that? Yeah, I'd say it's definitely lower half for me. I have this – I have a weird um, 
hip anatomy. I don't know. It's like I have, I'm super externally rotated, like biased towards that. So I'll land my front foot open and that's something that I'm going to fight forever. I don't like, I've given up on trying to like fight it to the death because like, that's just how my body is, is shaped. And, and so, um, but there are some cues that I have to fight a little bit harder, um, and just trying to feel the, like the glute and the, and the hamstrings a little bit more. Cause it's a little bit harder when you're biased towards external to get into some of those positions. So it's just maybe a couple more like janitor throws and plyos that week than it is like, I'm going to try and sit in my glute harder. You know, it's something like that. It's, it's minor. Everything I do is, is just going to try to be minor and then just a lot of reps. So you talked about like not thinking and I, I agree with that so much. I think so many of my outings I get done that, you know, I perform well in, I get done. I'm like, what just happened? Like, it's like, Oh God, like I'm in and out like that quick. And then the outings you struggle with, you're all over the place thinking about it. And I remember when we were at, uh, when I was at WIG, we started meeting with these sports psychologists. And I think I've seen mm-hmm. you guys still meet with them and you talk about the mental game. And I was just wondering like how, how you may have used that stuff from the freshman year being you know, a little all over the place to pitch you on the biggest stage in the world. And you looked like you were, you were in your happy place as content as could be like so poised and just ready to compete. I was just wondering if there's anything mentally that really helped mm-hmm. you get from freshman year struggling up top to being first rounder on top of the world. Yeah. So our, uh, the pitching coach that came in my sophomore year, he was huge and all the mental side of the game and, and then really just creating your own reality. So I actually got kind of lucky where I've never had, you can call it luck or just uh, my egos. Like I've always been more confident and I always thought I was better than other people thought I was, even if it wasn't, there's no merit behind it, (laughs) which kind of helped me out in the end. But early on you can be like, wow, this kid, he's got (laughs) to figure it out, but it worked out. But um, so I've always been like somewhat a little bit more confident. And every time I've, I've been out there. It's just, I always thought it was like, I was better than the, the hitter that was in the box. So, um, but then with the times I do feel that confidence wa- wavering a little bit, you know, you go back to, I really just fall back to my routine and just say, look, like I know my, what I'm doing is working. It might be struggling right now, but I really just have to fall back on what I've been doing and, and then trust the process right here. Pitching is so it's it's like baseball in general too. I always feel like to me it's one of those things where it's like you have to really care about the work, especially as a pitcher. Like you have to really care about the work between the starts and like put yeah. everything you have into that. And then start day comes around and you have to almost not care when you're out there, yeah. right? Like because like when you start thinking about it, like you can almost see it sometimes, especially with younger kids. Like you can see the wheels spinning and you can see where it's like, oh, he's about to he's about to shell up, and it, it's crazy. So. Is there anything you do in game or in moment mentally where like, do you have, you know, everyone references and any skills coach I talk about, they reference from the love of the game. If you guys have ever seen that movie where for every pitch, he says, you know, clear the mechanism or whatever. But like, is there something that you have where you're like, all right, you know, even if it's like I'm staring at the foul pole where like, I just need to lock back in and reset right here. Yeah. I, I, I kind of fall back on like a, a little bit of breath work, nothing, nothing crazy. I don't want to, get out of the moment or anything but yeah i definitely would say there's a couple couple deep breaths um and then just try and get get back centered not let the moment get too big uh i never i never got too deep into that stuff but you know that's always a good place to fall back i was i was always curious because and colin made a good point when he was talking about how in control of the moment you always were on the mound are you like maybe it's the hair, maybe it's the look, maybe it's the vibe, but you you give very hippie vibes. Do you ride the emotional roller coaster, or is that something that you take a lot of pride in being just zen and and just focus on what you can in fact control in that moment? Yeah, I try my best to stay pretty neutral in the moment. Um, you know, sometimes you get you get up, you get a little bit down, but I try to um, always fall back on neutral, and then if I do get a little bit more up. I'm honestly a little bit, I'm fine with that as long as I don't fall past that neutral state, you know, as long as I can get back there and never try and dip below that. Um, so I like, don't let the, the negative moments get too big and then, and then just try and control the, uh, when I do get a little excited. So, but you know, it's something that's just come natural to me. I never, I don't go out there trying to be calm, cool and collected, but it just, you know, it just ends up happening. 
I got a quick question. Are you the are you the starting pitcher that sits on the end of the bench and talks to nobody with the hood up, or are you one of those guys that's on the fence with the team going because you get a mix of them in pro ball and it's like you, they're it's a little weird with some of them sometimes. No, I don't sit down at all. I kind of stand the whole game, which is weird to think about, but I stand the entire time just walking around, just talking to people. Usually, like I talk to the pitching coach for like the first half of the inning and then the catcher for like the first, like first half those two. And then after that, I'm kind of just walking around, keeping it loose. Um, it's kind of funny when, uh, I just walk around and then just crack a joke to a guy that's just sitting on the bench and they usually get a good laugh out of it. And they're like, you're supposed to be like pitching in the, the world series right now. <laughs> so the first inning, you're just talking baseball. The next year, making sure your hair is moisturized and looking really pretty for everybody. Because yeah, you could we say need that. to know the routine. We need to know the routine. <laughs> I don't have a routine, really. Come on, yo. Everybody just, says that. <laughs> I just let it go. I use some like leave-in conditioner sometimes. And other than that, nothing really. That's that's pretty impressive there. I mean, I used to used to grow my hair out habitually, and and now, as you can tell on the video form, it's it's four on the top and and fade on the sides. We're not <laughs> we're not getting anything too too elaborate with that anymore. So I I respect anybody who has the time and the patience for long hair. But you know, I gotta ask you this because obviously, you know, as somebody who's known Colin for a really long time, I've been following Wake Forest baseball since the day he stepped on campus there, right? And when I think about Wake Forest baseball in the environment today, I think your story tells a very good image of what Wake Forest baseball is, right? Um, you know, obviously they had the really good team in, in uh, what was it, 2017, Colin, that you mm-hmm. guys went to Florida for the Super Regional. Um, and then it's kind of, it was a developmental kind of program where it's like you kind of look for that three, four year window where you get your guys in, you bring them up, you sprinkle in some really good pieces, and then. Yep go compete for a super regional on a trip to Omaha. The team we're looking at today in, in November of 2023 going into the 2024 season is like this program seems like a program that's a private school in the state of North Carolina. That's never going to fall off. Kind of talk about that because you've kind of been there in the low seasons. You've been there through the highs of what last season was and what looks like continuing for the future. That is like kind of like a train that's never going to stop. Kind of talk about, how it was and how that came to fruition. Yeah, I think I think where you could say the start of last year when it really started was my freshman class. We came in with 17 kids and um, that's a lot of guys and we were pretty bad my first year, but we stuck it out and we just all developed together. And by the end of the three years, we had like 12 of us that stuck it out and we were all 12 played. Um, and then that we just really built that bond that I think is going to, and then set the standard for Wake Forest through those 12 guys after that, my freshman year really just set the standard for what Wake Forest baseball is. And I think that's something that's going to like stick around, even though it was ugly at first, um, we kind of just stuck it out and trusted, trusted what was going to happen. And then, um, I think that's something that's going to be hard to, to tear down from now on. Can you talk a little bit about the culture of that pitching staff, especially last year? I mean, that that staff, I, I mentioned it to you earlier, was just so much fun to watch. I mean, just the, the talent of all you guys was – what was the culture like in that in that room? Were you guys kind of, you know, trying to one-up each other and pushing each other? And, and how tight was that bond between all of you guys? I'm telling – it was team-wide. I'm telling you they played and we all played – more mini games than any team or any group of people ever in the world. We were always competing, whether it was like a new game every week. We had cornhole for a while in the locker room. We play cornhole all day. Um, it got to like chess at one point where we just had people learning chess and just playing chess all the time. Hacky sack. We made this like hacky sack volleyball game. It was always something. It was like a ton of different games where it was always competing, getting fired up. And I think that honestly was the biggest key to to our success, really. We were just always competing, and it was just second nature when we got out there. Like, we practiced our skill, and we were all talented. We just practiced competing 24-7. The hacky sack every day mm-hmm. as the best. Yep. That is the best. But you talk <laughs> about a sta- the standard, and my freshman year, I thought we set the standard. Like, dude, we just went to a super regional. Like, we are yeah. like – we are. 
we're in the sky here. And then you guys come along a couple years later and you guys are a number one overall seed and probably one of the best college teams to really go down ever. And going through those rebuild years, and now you hold this standard. Going in the pro ball, how do you think that's going to help you develop more and hopefully move along really quickly in the organizations because you, you talk about you being really confident and I'm sure you're going to get some opportunities this spring and some big league games and heck you might be facing gosh a 10-year big leaguer and I'm sure your mindset is going to be the same thing as I'm better than you I don't care if you're a 10-year big leaguer so how do you think that's going to really help you hopefully be in the big leagues by the end of this fall next fall I guess. yeah no I think my experience already it's obviously going to be at a different level but it's really going to be helpful because I, I like to tell a story about how my freshman year I was the worst pitcher in the ACC and then within a short year I was I won the pitcher of the year the next year so I think whatever happens I was like just challenge me and let me uh, let me go out there and get punched in the mouth like I think that's going to be the best thing for anybody is you have to get punched in the face and then figure out how to deal with it and I think that's what I did and I'm not afraid you know to get to get knocked down and then because it's honestly the best way and maybe one of the only ways to learn, especially when you get at this high level. That's awesome. Just that bulldog mentality throughout. I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, Pro Bowl now as we move into it. Just real quick, the first question I have, what's the experience like of being a first rounder and, and, you know, leading up to it in that week and that moment? I mean, it's just something you dream about your whole entire life and and now it's coming true. What was kind of like, what is that feeling like? And what was the lead up to that moment? And was it kind of like surreal where you like, is, you know, was, was there a moment where you're like, is this really happening? Yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was unreal. The draft was awesome. And like leading up to the draft a few weeks prior, like everybody was asking me, was I nervous? And I was like super cool and calm. Like I, I felt like I was pretty certain that I didn't have a very wide window of where I was going to go. So like, I felt like kind of confident I was going to fall within some certain, area of picks um and it was out of my control like I played my last game there's nothing else I can do um but then all of a sudden on draft day my it just switched like I got the most nervous person in the entire world and I was like thinking worst case scenario and everything um so it was kind of crazy I I went from being like oh this is this is not a big deal like I I've already done everything I can do whatever to like train wreck but it was awesome (laughs) I mean after the fact is the biggest sigh of relief you'll ever take and it was awesome it was so fun and then what was what was kind of the experience like this summer because you know you, you like you said you threw 300 innings in college and and the reds kind of were like let's pump the brakes I'd imagine what was that conversation like and what was your experience like this summer because we've talked on here before about you know possibly doing that because you know managing arms isn't the easiest thing in the world and and um you know they want you at your best. So what was that kind of experience this summer and how did that process go of like, Hey, we're not going to throw you out there in any games. Yeah. I mean, we kind of had to look at the past three years, honestly, it wasn't just this past year. It's, it's like, okay, your first, your first year in, in college, you threw a total counting summer, probably let's say 90 innings. Um, and then the next year you threw, say 115 counting every summer and ended up. And then this year you're at 120 not counting the preseason, whatever you throw in the preseason. And, like, typically you look for almost like a 20% build-up each year. So that left me at a pretty good spot to be built up for – I mean, not a ton of guys throw 200 innings and split anymore at all, like any level. So, like, 150, 160 innings is – it'll get you almost a full season at any level. So, that they we felt like it was in a good spot where I was at. Um and, you know, it's a, always a risk during the build-up process. So we felt it was like in a pretty good spot to, to shut it down and then get a good um, off-season in and just, you know, train pretty hard and get the body in the right spot and then just try and be set up for a healthy season. So they, they sent you out. Did they send you to Dayton for yeah. a little bit? So, the like, even list. though you weren't – yeah, you were you're on the dev list. Yep, the the fan the fake phantom now they call it, mm-hmm. right? So, but while you were there, I guess I wanted to ask, like, how was your those first experiences? Because my first couple like couple days in Pro Bowl, I'm like, gosh, this is this is little little crazy now. Like, I'm at the field at twelve thirty, one o'clock. I'm not leaving till twelve. 
not on my phone at all. I was just wondering, like, what yeah. were the, what they have you doing, and like, how was those first couple weeks there? Just you know, getting a little taste of it before the next season. Well, honestly, it was better than being stuck in Arizona without a car. So um, I was glad to be back in the dugout with a group of guys that were, you know, were just on the same team having fun. Um, so I was excited to be there. Uh, but my, my workload and everything didn't really change. I was still just, like, doing my, like, maintenance program in the training room and then lifting. And then you know, my throwing, I just started my throwing program when I got there. So my work didn't really change. It was just good to be back in the dugout with guys playing baseball, even if I wasn't playing. Um, still rather do that than just, you know, be stuck in the 115-degree heat of Arizona not not really doing anything. Stuck We're, in prison it, at the complexes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And stay out of them. <laughs> Had you, have you been out there? Did you go to Arizona at all? Yeah, I was in Arizona most of the summer. So I, right when I got drafted, I went out there for like a month or two. And then I went for the last three weeks in the minor league season to Dayton, and then I came back for instructs to Arizona. So I was out there for a pretty good minute. Yeah, you've been out there, and then you'll 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 head right back here soon, right? I'll be back soon. <laughs> Big league um, camp, you going? I don't know yet. I haven't found out anything. I mean, it's hard to say because I haven't thrown a single pitch in front of any Reds coordinator, so. Um, We'll see. I mean, whatever happens, happens, and I just want to put myself in the best spot, you know, to be healthy for for the whole year. What was the um, – so you talked a little bit about maintenance. Was it mostly just heavy lift and, and getting in the training room? Was that kind of how you spent most of the summer? Yeah, I would say so. I went through a pretty heavy strength phase for the majority of the summer, and then at one point I just went in the training room. I was like, listen, like I haven't thrown anything, but like I, there's only so much I can do, and I have to be here. So um, – is there a, like a maintenance arm care program I can get on or like some hit stuff? And, and so we set up like a pretty good program that was individualized for our, where I was lacking and what I needed to work on. So I kind of did that um, because there was, at a, there was a time where I wasn't throwing and I had to be at the complex for probably until the ACL game was over. So I was there for six hours a day, only working out for one hour a day. And I was like, all right, I got to find something to do. I'll never forget stepping off that air that plane after getting drafted. It's a hundred and five degrees. Oh. I'm like, there's no way, right? It's just gonna keep getting worse and worse. But oh man, I mean, it is awesome. Like you've come from just small town kid, one big offer, and now you're seventh round, seventh overall, not seventh round, not even close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I guess. What do you? I guess. What are your expectations for next season? Do you see yourself making it as far as you know the big leagues? That's the goal. Or how do you think the Reds are going to try to develop you? Or do you think they'll try to take you slow? Has there been any conversations about those sort of things? Like we'll start in high A for a little bit, then transition double A, hit every level. Or you think they're just going to throw you in the double A because last year watching you watching you pitch, we were in there in the locker room like these dudes are at you know, right below us, like they are this close. And so I was just wondering mm-hmm. what your expectations were for this spring coming up. Yeah. So we've had, I mean, a few talks, like nothing super specific, but they like, we're such a young team and then we're up and coming and like, they're not afraid. They said they're not afraid to move guys quick. And I think that's probably um, the ideal goal. I mean, within reason, like trying to stay healthy. Um but, you know, they've seen guys start out in high A and then like, make the big leagues by the end of that year, like, pretty regularly. They debuted probably, like, seven guys under 25 last year or something absurd like that. Um, so they're not afraid to move guys quick. I don't know specifically what's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I started in Dayton in high A for a little bit for first start of the year and then just move up. I, I think I'd spend most of the year in double A in Chattanooga and then kind of just see how I'm doing, how the team's doing. And, and then obviously the goal is to try and get to the big leagues as fast as possible whenever that may be. But, you know, that's that's not really, you know, it's just got to work every day and then just, uh, just whenever it happens, it happens. No, that's that's awesome. And, and one of the things that fascinates me is is obviously being able to, to be around Colin for a long time. Like, it, you know, it, 
you're cut from a different cloth when you get to the level that you guys are both at. What are some of the lessons that you've learned through the process? Obviously talking about being under recruited with no power five offers outside of Wake Forest and then that development. Obviously we've talked about the physical development, but where have you kind of come mentally and, and do you appreciate those times? What are kind of the big lessons you take away from, from those days where you might not have felt as appreciated as you felt like you should be? Yeah, no, it's it's awesome to think back to those games because the crazy part is I feel like the same exact pitcher as I was when I threw 85 miles an hour. Um, and it is the same game. And so at the end of the day, it's it's the same game, but, uh, you know, just it's just at a different level. And then just I just know that all that work that I did even to get to where I am now, I mean, it all like I, I have to keep going, obviously, but it's fun. It's fun to think about thinking back where I came from um and see where i see where i got and especially considering where what a lot of people like there's a lot of good baseball in north carolina and just to think that that was the only one of the power five schools uh in this area or the only school in the country well that'll uh conclude for the episode today uh for anybody listening if it seems a little bit um edited and messed up there we had some technical difficulties throughout the recording but Rhett, we appreciate you hopping on. Uh, you have nothing but three fans here rooting for your success going into the spring of next year and obviously debuting in professional baseball. And and definitely know that for our listeners, they gained a ton of information from this podcast. And and you you are more than welcome whenever, whether we want to set up an in-person interview, when, if we could get out there with us being local, or uh, you want to hop back on here and we can get long-winded on it again. But you're more than welcome on the podcast whenever you want. No, thank you guys. I had a lot of fun talking. We covered a lot. Of course, of course. We got in the weeds a little bit. We, I think there's definitely layers of this stuff, and we could definitely get in more depth any okay. another time. But we appreciate you taking the time to do this with us, and, and we're rooting for your success. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Yep, of course. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes weekly, so make sure you're looking out for those. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.